always the truth. So thank you for that. Um, this morning we're finishing the last, last message in a series I've entitled Truth in a World of Fiction. As so we want to focus on what's truth. Um, we look around us and there are different messages. This is what's true. This is where you need to ground your life. But where do we need to ground our life? And, and this last message is going to focus on standing alone. When you're outnumbered and standing alone for Christ, we definitely live in a society where we're outnumbered at every turn. And God calls us to be courageous. But it has to be far more than what I can do and you can do. It has to be God in us. As we were praying this morning, I was, Cindy and I, I was reminded of the fact the word enthusiasm literally means God in us. That's where passion comes when God in us is working. And uh, but anyway, a couple of passages this morning for our scripture reading as we jump in the message. First, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter six, and we'll read verses ten through twelve, and then we're going to jump over to Romans chapter twelve and read the first two verses, verse one and two. So let's start at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter six. Verses 10 through 12. I'm going to ask when you find that to stand in God's honor. As I read. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities, you did not build houses filled with all kinds of good things, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then over to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Lord, here we are once again. We have gathered to worship You. Um, It's easy for us to be distracted, God, because our attention span's short and it's small. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit might fill this place, God, and that you might enable us, Lord, to hear what you want us to hear and that you might just grab a hold of our hearts, God, that we might be reminded what life is about, Um, not just for us so that others might discover you. Uh, Thank you, Father, we've been reminded that people need the Lord. And I pray this morning as I'm... Father, we talk about standing alone. Uh, Help us, Father, to be more than just uh, one of the herd, Um, to be not just controlled by the mood of the mob. And, and Father, give us your power, Lord. Guide us in this time for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. There is this idea uh, in America of this 
rugged individualism that, you know, to be, to be tough, that I don't need anybody to help me. But if I work hard enough and I'm strong enough and I'm capable enough, then I can do anything and I can conquer anything. You know, it's like one part Daniel Boone. You know, I remember as a kid, I don't know if any of y'all watched Fess Parker and Daniel Boone, okay? This is dating way back, you know. But anyway, they had in the opening, he had this axe, man, and he would throw the axe and he'd hit the top of the tree and split the whole tree and it would fall. And as a kid, I think, man, that is so cool. But I thought I'd never hit the tree. You know, but there's that, that part, Daniel Boone, tough pioneer, you know, go conquer the new land and, 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 and blaze the new trail. And then there's a part, Patrick Henry, you know, give me liberty or give me death. I will stand for what's right above all else and no one can stop me because I'm super American, you know. Patriot to the core. And then there's one part, Walker, Texas Ranger, you know. <laughs> I remember uh, the kids, they had all these jokes about, you know, nobody could stop Walker, Texas Ranger, you know. He's the ultimate fighter, the ultimate tough guy, the, the ultimate winner, you know. Conquer any bad guy, <laughs> You know, this, this part that we can make it by ourselves. But guys, it's just simply not true. You see, a, a key to really standing alone is realizing you're never alone. Hey, if, if you're going to be able to have the convictions that are necessary, if, you, if you're going to be able to walk close with Jesus Christ, you've got to understand that you're not alone. You've got to understand that Jesus said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And you find your, find your identity, you find your strength in Jesus Christ who has loved you, who has died for you, and who lives in you and gives you strength. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and then secondly, not only to know you're loved, but to live in that love. Guys, that, that standing alone, you've, you've got other people around you that, that love you and, and, and you're connected and, and you have a heart and a goal to, to share that love and, and to live that love and to impact people. See, that's, that's what it's about. And I'm going to look at these two passages. First, just some observations. We're going to start in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, the first thing here I want to point out, he, he says brothers. And we could add sisters to that too. <laughs> What's he talking about here? He said, hey, this is not addressed specifically to everybody. This is addressed specifically to those who have been changed by the power of God in Jesus Christ. And so I want to start with the invitation. You know, we usually close with the invitation. We usually close and say, come to Jesus, you know, uh, trust Jesus, believe in Jesus, find forgiveness, find life. I want to start there, though, because the truth of the matter is, the rest of this message can't connect unless you are connected to Jesus Christ. And so I start there as Paul pleads this message about standing alone, standing strong. You have to be in Christ. It says, yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. To become children of God. You don't just start out children of God. There has to be a a change of heart. There has to be a a transformation. There has to be something that happens outside of you, (laughs) that's beyond you, that happens in you. See? That's the first point here. The second point here, he says, I heard you. In other words, it's a plea. Paul here, he's he's pleading, he's he's urging, his heart is heavy, and uh, this matters to him, guys. This is a passion of Paul. And, and, And it should be a passion within the church of Jesus Christ. What we're talking about this morning. We we need to do more than just rock along. We need to do more than just have a holy contentment. 
There should be a sense of discontentment in the sense that people need the Lord. In the sense that we need to know Him better. In the sense that there's just such a demand and a need for a, a real, genuine, heartfelt walk with Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, it's critical. Um, people need it. Third, uh, he says here, in view of God's mercy. Third point here, just, just bringing out here and staying alone. We need to begin to develop an upward look. What I mean by that, we need to start looking around and seeing the grace of God. Hey, I, I read, you know, it's, it's been real popular over the past couple of years. There are a lot of churches around, purpose-driven churches that come out of the Rick Warren model. And, and uh, you know, and, and God's using that. It's, it's great. But I saw a church uh, up in Maryland as I was looking for an illustration this week. And at the top, instead of purpose-driven church, it says, we're a grace-driven church. And I thought, man, that's good. That's good stuff. A grace-driven church. Oh, I like that. What is grace? It's, it's understanding, man, that what you don't deserve, God has given you. That, that's, that's, that's grace. And that's how we need to see God, and, and that, that He loves us that much, and how we need to see one another, <laughs> that, that we all need to know His love, know His grace, know how He's reached out to us to be a, a grace-driven church and to have that view and if you're going to stand alone, you've got to have that view. That's how you know how you're loved. That's how you know how to love. It's, it's gaining that view. Okay, fourth thing here is a sacrifice. Notice what he says here. What's he urge you to do? To have that upward look. And he says to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. He says this is your spiritual act of worship. Hey, you know, we come here to worship. But what's worship about? It's not... An event. Hey guys, it's not just something you mark on your calendar. It's not just something you show up at, at you know, 10 and 11 o'clock to do together on a Sunday morning. Worship is something we offer to God all the time. And it's about offering yourself to God. Not just a part of your time, your life. Offer your bodies. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a passionate plea to say, God, I'm yours. I love uh, Paul, Galatians 2.20, one of the early verses I memorized. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. See, that's the, that's the passion. That's the sacrifice. I've been crucified with Christ. Hey, He's the risen one, and He's alive in me. And, and I'm not going to live to myself. I'm going to live to the one who loves me. The one who loved me through Calvary. Hey, that's, that's what it's about. Understanding that sacrifice. Understanding that each moment, each day is an opportunity to worship. And that leads us to the fifth thing here in Romans. We grab this understanding of these things. There's a decision to be made. If you want to have a dynamic, genuine walk with Jesus Christ, there's a decision to be made. If you want your life to really be a sacrifice of worship, to offer your bodies, to offer your full self to Jesus. Something has to happen. There's a decision. And we come to verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Uh, now, the word conform here literally means to assume an outward expression that does not come from within. Uh, it's the idea of masquerading. Being somebody you're not when you conform. 
It doesn't come from within who you really are, but it's how you act. He says, don't do that. Don't let that mark you, guys. That's that's not enough. That, that That's not who you're to be. I, I love the way uh, the Phillips translation shares that uh, J.B. Phillips in his own New Testament translation. He said, uh, do not let the world make you into its mold. Force you, press you into its mold. Hey, hey, don't be consumed. Don't be controlled by this world. But what? What's he say instead? Look, look, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Greek word is metamorphosis. Remember the old song, the kids saying, you know, bullfrogs, butterflies, they mo- both must be born again. There has to be this change, this metamorphosis. And he says here, there has to be a metamorphosis of thinking that occurs in you in order to be able to stand alone. There has to be a change that happens in you. To offer yourself as a sacrifice, the mind has to change. There has to be a, a new focus in how we think. One man wrote this way. Now listen, this I may have to read it a couple of times because I probably can't get it even though I've been reading it. We are not what we are. We are not even what others think we are. We are what we think others think we are. Let me read that one more time. That's kind of a tongue twister. We are not what we are. We are not even what others think we are. We are what we think others think we are. That's the conformist. Peer pressure is immense, guys. You know, we talk about being individualist, being tough, standing alone. But the truth of the matter is, man, we cave in so quick to want to be like the pack. To be part of the herd. And there's a time and there's a call where you can't do that and be loyal to Jesus. It just can't happen. I love the story of the uh, little boy and the older man, his grandfather will say, and the donkey. And they walk through town. And they're walking uh, behind the donkey. And the guy says, look at that old man. He, he's a fool. He should be riding on the back of that donkey. So he thought, yeah, that's a good point. So he climbs up on the donkey. And then they ride into the next village. And they say, man, can you believe, can you believe that old man he, being so cruel to that kid? He should be riding on the donkey. He well, got a point. So he got off the donkey, put the boy on the donkey. Then they went into the next town. And he said, I, I can't believe that old man is, is walking. They should both be riding on that donkey. So they both got on the donkey. And they walked for away. And then they came to the next village. And they said, can you believe how cruel that little boy and that man are to that donkey? They shouldn't treat that donkey like that. So when they came in the next village, they saw the little boy and the man carrying the donkey. So, so what's the point? You can't please everybody all the time, but your heart should be to please God. You see, and, and, and peer pressure grabs a hold of us and so that we miss the point. We miss the point. Now, I want to look at some principles of standing alone here that are found in this other passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, that I believe are critical to our ability to be able to uh, be faithful in standing alone to Him. Um, verses 10 through 12. First point here I want you to notice. Uh, getting something for nothing can breed irresponsibility. Look here at verse 10. Now this is a warning that God has given to Moses to share with the people. You've got this group of people who have traveled through the wilderness 
and they're getting ready to enter a promised land. And he's giving them a warning because what they're about to inherit, they didn't earn. And, and that's the point here about um, when you're not responsible and you gain something, it breeds irresponsibility. But uh, look at the verse. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build. Did you catch that? They didn't build the cities. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. They didn't put those uh, goodies in the house. <laughs> wells you did not dig. Can't help but think of Jim and Jill. I think about wells. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Hmm. Then when you eat and are satisfied. They're going to enjoy all this that they did not earn. They did not work for. No sweat of their brow went into it. You see, to grab blessings without responsibility breeds irresponsibility. And what happens so often is we take our blessings for granted. And then we begin to complain about those blessings because we want what somebody else has. Or we think we deserve something else that we're not enjoying, like we're entitled to it. And we forget about the very blessings that God has given to us. And and guys, that's exactly what happened to them. You know, as you read about them in the journey... It says that they start complaining about their food. They say, man, we're sick. We're sick of eating manna. We want to go back and, and we want to eat of the melons and, and leeks and, and, and all that good food. You know, we don't want to live here. And what did they forget? They forgot that they used to live in slavery. Why? Because they'd been walking around the wilderness and, and they weren't in slavery. They didn't moan and they didn't cry out to God as, as their aching bodies and, and, and the, the, the torture that they were under. It didn't apply to these guys. And so what happened to them? They took for granted the blessings they had. That's what happened to them. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 11. Uh, just back a book or two here. Just uh, one here. <laughs> Numbers 11. And I'll start at verse 4 here. He says, The rabble within began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. At no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. What do they say? Oh, we see this manna. It's not enough. It's not enough. And guys, I dare say to you, and, and I think it happens all across our churches, all across our people, there's no such thing as grandchildren in heaven. Do you know why that is? Because you don't come second hand in faith. You have to come before God and you have to understand that you are a sinner and you have to understand that you need to be forgiven and you are transformed with a personal encounter with God, not a second-hand encounter with God. No grandchildren, just children. And, and there's a reason for that. And I'm afraid what's happened so often in our church is there's people who grow up in the church. There are people who come and sit Sunday after Sunday because of a loved one or a different relative that has a relationship with God, that walks with God, and they enjoy the blessings, they enjoy the relationships, they enjoy the times together that's enjoyed with God's people and those blessings, but they fail 
to see what they have. They fail to see the forgiveness. And so often churches, that's why they begin to fight and they begin to bicker. Um, I love Hebrews twelve fifteen. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. How, how, how are people defiled? Where's the bitter root come from? It comes when we miss the grace of God. So do you get it? you got to have that upward look. you got to have that grace of God that I talked about earlier. It, it's so critical. And, and the irresponsibility comes. And people fall away from God because they simply are not satisfied with the blessings God's given. It's not enough. Alright, point number two. Uh, not only is there this getting something for nothing breed irresponsibility. Second, it creates a careless attitude. See, that was part of the warning too. Don't go in there. Don't go in there. And then you just have this careless attitude. You're, you're not working. The, the irresponsibility takes over. As I was studying this, I ran across an illustration. And it was about a guy in a, in a small church that had a visiting pastor come. And afterward, he was going to drive him to the next town where he was going to speak uh, that next week. And as he was driving, they passed by this factory. It's a big factory with multiple buildings. And he pointed to one of those buildings... And he said, see that, see that gray building there? I work on the second floor of that building. And he said, on the second floor of that building, there's 74 of us. And he said, as far as I know, as far as I've been able to discern, I'm the only Christian of the 74 that works on the second floor there. And he said, sometimes I find myself wanting to be lazy. Sometimes I find myself... Um, saying, I ah, just go along with the crowd. And then I say, I am an ambassador for Jesus Christ. I am the one to share Jesus with those 73 guys. that were." And, and he says, uh, I may be the only missionary there, the only one of Christ. And he says, and, and, and I don't want the name of Jesus to be driven, drugged through the mud because of my actions and my words. And, and, and he says, that, that drives me. And guys, that, that, what a... That's good. Sometimes all of us need to stop and say, how many of us around us, when they look at us, am, am I going to lead them to Jesus or away from Jesus? And, and, and give me that, that passion, God, uh, to, to see that, uh, to have that and not have just a careless attitude. To be intentional for Him. Third, uh, okay, it moves from irresponsibility to a careless attitude, creates a, creates a loss of standards. And convictions, a loss of standards and convictions. Hmm. You know, it was interesting as I was reading through here of what the Supreme Court had to say on the difference between a preference and a conviction. And, and basically, it's simply this a preference is something you'll live for. You know, you may invest your money in it, your time, a lot of your energy. But a conviction is something you'll die for. See, there's a difference. When peer pressure comes, uh, family pressure, lawsuits, persecution, threat of death, (laughs) then a preference goes out the door, but not a conviction. Because a conviction goes right to the core of the heart. This is what God's called me to do. It's what God's called me to do. And and, and, and once it moves, see, see the movement... There's the irresponsibility. And, and once the irresponsibility uh, moves, you know, you get to that point here where there's, there, there's no standards. There's no convictions. There's nothing to die for. Of course, the truth of the matter is, we know that means there's really nothing to live for. All right, but last one here. I've got to move on here. 
a loss of standards prompts insecurity. We say, man, how does kids get to a point to where they're messing around with drugs? Or, or how do I get to this point where this kid won't hold down a job? Or, or, or this kid's not, man, just not being a man. Or, or she's not living in, as, a, as a woman of the Lord. What happened? How did that occur? Well, it comes from irresponsibility, which bred carelessness that led to a loss of standard and ended in insecurity. It all goes back to Jesus. It all goes back to that bedrock foundation. Now, how to build a strong foundation. Can I do this in five minutes? That is a miracle. But uh, anyway, here. First one here, first point here, because I want to give some uh, help, you know, helpful truth in this, not just say, here's the problem, but what's God's call? Uh, to be responsible is the first principle. Guys, we can't say it's somebody else's fault. First truth that's so critical is you've got to come to grips with, I am responsible. It's not what you didn't do for me is why I'm in this mess. It's about me. This is a speech. Uh, we had a great Sunday school lesson this morning. I had told Trace, it was, it, you know how God works... He had mentioned this. He said, and I said, I'm going to read that this morning in my sermon, so you know how God works. But this is from Bill Gates' book, Business at the Speed of Thought. And he's laying out 11 rules for students uh, in a high school or college should learn. But uh, anyway, here are the rules. Number one, rule one, life's not fair. Get used to it. Rule two, the world won't care about your self-esteem. The world will expect you to accomplish something before you feel good about yourself. Rule three, you will not make $40,000 a year right out of high school. You won't be a vice president with a car phone until you earn both. Rule four, if you think your teacher's tough, wait till you get a boss. He doesn't have a tenure. Rule five, flipping hamburgers is not beneath your dignity. Your grandparents had a different word for burger flipping. They called it opportunity. Rule six, if you mess up, it's not your parents' fault, so don't whine about your mistakes. Learn from them. Rule seven, before you were born, your parents weren't as boring as they are now. They got that way from paying bills, cleaning your clothes, and listening to you talk about how cool you are. So before you save the rainforest from the parasites of your parents' generation, try uh, delousing the clothes in your own room. Rule 8. Your school may have done away with winners and losers, but life has not. In some schools, they've abolished failing grades. They will ask as many times as you want to get the right answer. This doesn't bear the slightest resemblance to anything in real life. Rule 9. Life is not divided into semesters. You don't get summers off and very few employers are interested in helping you find yourself. Do that on your own time. Uh, Rule 10. Television is not real life. In real life, people actually have to leave the coffee shop and go to jobs. Uh, rule 11, be nice to nerds. Chances are you'll end up working for one. Of course, uh, he, he would share that. So rule number one, I am responsible. I am Okay, number two, uh, I must not forget. Uh, after shot, uh, stopping for gas in Montgomery, Alabama, Sam drove for more than five hours down the road until he realized something was wrong. You know what was wrong? He left his wife at the store. And he didn't miss her for five hours. He called the police and he said, uh, my wife's missing. And, and he was really embarrassed to say, I didn't notice for five hours. She wasn't in the car with me. Trouble. 
hey, uh, you know, it's easy to pick on Sam, but what about us? The call is, notice what he says here in Deuteronomy 6. He says uh, in, in verse 12, be careful you do not forget the Lord. Hey, guys, before I pick on Sam, what about me? Do you remember the Lord? Is he a part of your life? I'm not talking about the, right this moment that you're here. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about when you leave here. Is he a part of your life? Do you remember him? Um, do you remember him? All right, uh, third, I am accountable to God. It doesn't matter where I am, I'm accountable to God. Uh, Hebrews 4.13, what a verse. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before Him to whom we must give account. We're accountable to God. He sees us, man. He knows us through and through. Uh, This is a true story about two guys, Paul and William, who decided we want to be... We want to be real for Christ. And so we're going to hold each other accountable. So they'd meet every week, and they would be honest. This is what I'm struggling with, brother. Pray for me. Help me. I'm going to tell you when I do this, and uh, just be there for me. And so Paul says, you know, man, I got got trouble with cussing. (laughs) He said, man, those words come out of my mouth before I even know it. He said, here's what I'm going to, he says, here's what I'm going to do, William. He says, I've decided every time I say a cuss word, I'm going to throw another five bucks in the offering plate. Well, man, that first week it really hurt when he had to put a hundred bucks in the offering plate, you know. And so, and of course, Paul shared with him. He said, man, this is tough. The next week he did better, you know. He he got it down to about 60 bucks. Then by the third week, you know, he's doing better, but he's still cussing. So, By the fourth week, William said... uh, I got an idea, Paul. I, I, wanna, I, wa- I want us to try something that in some ways it's going to be a lot easier, but yet it's going to be a lot tougher. He goes, what are you talking about? He said, just, just bear with me, man. He said, Sunday rolled around. And they're sitting there. And William says to Paul, he says, uh, he says man, how did you do this week? He said, man, it was a tough week. Paul takes out his checkbook. He says, what are you doing, man? He says, I'm writing a check to the church. And he hands it to me. He says, I want you to fill in the amount. Man, how bad you did cuts. And he says, this is called grace. He said, I'll pay for it, man. I love you. I'm going to pay for it. He's in there. One of those $100 weeks. He's like, oh, ooh, man. Next week came around. He came back. (laughs) He's like, uh, 55 bucks this week. William's writing the check out. Just fill it in, man. Next week, no check had to be written. God worked in his life. What happened? What happened? Man, Paul loved William, man. They were brothers. Close. Honest with each other. And even though it hurt him... To know he was sinning and not doing what was right. And even though it hurt him to pay that money, when he saw this guy that he knew loved him as a brother have to pay the price, he just got a hold of his heart. He just didn't, he just, he just couldn't let go of that. Now, that is the attitude we need to have toward Jesus Christ. Guys, he died for me. He died for you. And, and help us not to, to belittle that or look at it in a small way. But, you know, when, when we're facing temptation, help us to see what he did at Calvary. And, and 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 may that give us strength in His power to resist. To resist. All right, one last one and I'm done. 
Fourth, uh, I get my standards and convictions from the Lord. Uh, there is no replacement from the, for the Bible. It is not outmoded. It is not outdated. It is not antiquated. We need to be a people of the book. I, I say that, and yet I know how hard it is. Uh, here I'm the preacher, you know, and, and I have an unfair advantage because a lot of times I'm studying for messages and stuff. I understand. But uh, until we get a hold of... Do, do you care what God thinks, see? Do you want to be able to, to know what God thinks about stuff? Well, that, that's what's in here. The mind of God, the, to be able to, 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 to catch His thinking. If you want to walk with somebody, if you want to love them, if you want to be close to them, then you want to know what they're thinking. That, that, that's what the Scripture's about. Uh, Psalm 119.104 I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. You gain understanding from the Scripture. You say, you want to understand how to attack this, how to be victorious in this area, how to, how to find you know, satisfaction and fulfillment, man, and, 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 and to, to, you know, to connect to God. The understanding, it's connected in here. And you begin to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And, 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 and it, it fulfills your heart. That's, and you're able to stand alone. And that, I've come to the end of this thing, that is so needed today. People are following all around us. Their families are crashing all around us. Uh, people's lives are, are broken. And, and, and what do they need? They need to see people that love Jesus Christ. And that's what I've been talking about, this whole message. And that's my challenge to you. Guys, will I be that person? Will you be that person? Let's pray. Lord, uh, truth in a world of fiction. There's a lot of fiction. But what about passion? What about conviction? What about Jesus? What about that view that looks up? Uh, God, I miss you so much, Lord. But I don't want people in my life that don't know you to miss you. So I better get on the ball. Better, better look to you, God. I, I I give the challenge out to those brothers and sisters here. I love. We started with an invitation, and we're full circle. Who is Jesus? Ask the question. Who is he to me? Is he my savior? Is he my Lord? <laughs> is he my hope? And and as I ask that it. Uh, if, if someone here can't say yes, now's the time to deal with it. Now's the time to find new life, new start. People need the Lord. All of us started without you before we became yours. So if that's anyone's plot here, uh, we love you. We want to see you walk in Him. We want you to be a part of His family. Come. Uh, Lord, draw people to the altar. Draw people to make a decision for you. Uh, to share with God's people what you're up to in, in King's Way. Uh, Father, we just want you to have your way. Uh, Father, we love you, and we ask for you in this time set aside to be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.